The stranger in black and wearing a mask was on a mission to kill. He stalked the Idaho 4 before choosing the date. In 16 minutes, he murdered four people. That's one victim for every four minutes. It was a brazen attack, and there is trace evidence and tracking data. What does it say for those who can no longer speak? And what will the defense team do now to poke holes in the prosecution's case? Next, I give you my reasons. You're listening to Drowning Verdict. Be sure to follow the podcast on your favorite listening platform. We don't want you to miss out on an important case or update. If you haven't already, pull the trigger and subscribe. Four victims, one death for every four minutes in the house on King Road. A roommate who says she saw the killer, but didn't call police right away. There's a lot of evidence here, but believe it or not, there's still a ton of work for the prosecution, despite the low probability of reasonable doubt. This is Chip Mahoney. I want to welcome you to Drowning Verdict, which is my true crime podcast where I talk about fascinating cases just like this one, and I go more in depth with the case. So thanks for joining me today. You might have found me on my TikTok, where I've got some clips there of the show. If it led you to my YouTube, that's a good place to be. I've got full episodes there of DV, plus my other show called Shill Kill, where I pair a crypto and a crime together at the same time. So if you've got an interest in all of that, as I do, consider a sub, consider the lobster for a time. So thanks for being here. Drowning Verdict is featured on Spotify. You can get it wherever you get your favorite podcasts out there in the podverse, that known universe where all that content swirls about. Well, I'm there to provide maybe a unique angle, a new idea, something to talk about to keep the conversation going on open and active cases, important cases just like this one. So if you have heard me before and it wasn't just a drive-by, you're turning around, you drop the clip, and you're like, I want to check this guy out another time. I really appreciate that because I do try to deliver bigger and better each and every time, and I have a reason for the podcast. Otherwise, why do it? So I've got a reason for you here today. And this is the Moscow Ripper case file, as I call it. This is part two. I'm talking about the 16 minutes, so I'm going to talk about the evidence, the tracking the trace evidence, and I'm going to talk about this stuff, what might happen at trial. And then in the uh, next case, I'm going to get into the death penalty. But I call it the Moscow Ripper for a reason, because I said this looked like Gainesville a while ago while back. I said this was a Gainesville Ripper in a lot of ways. And the media, you know, they're always the last ones to know, but the first ones to tell you that they figured it out. So they've been talking about BTK for the last couple of weeks. And I'm like, no, not BTK. The guy's a media whore. No, doesn't work for me. It's Gainesville. Well, all of a sudden, just the other day, they start dropping that BTK nonsense, start talking about Gainesville. Now we're experts on this. Well, yeah, I said that a few weeks ago. <clears throat> so hence the name, the Moscow Ripper case file, because it, it just uh, bleeds Ripper. 
And maybe he did study that under Catherine Ramsland, and maybe it does have some relation. I also said that the killer had come in from the eastern Washington border, crossed over that border, and came into Idaho to commit the act that he did. So he didn't live in Idaho. He was in uh, eastern Washington area, and I mentioned Pullman. Ten days later, there's an arrest for Brian Koberger, Ph.D. student at Washington State. Well, I didn't think about a Ph.D. student. I said this person was younger, so I drop that. I, I, I dropped the ball there. I missed that one. But everything else, it, it's matched up for me. And therefore, the, uh, there's a reason to listen to what I got for you because I'm going to give that to you. And maybe you will know ahead of time before they even get to court and do the things that they're going to do because I'm going to talk about that today. But the 16 minutes, the four victims, uh, one victim for every four minutes in the house, that's being on a mission to kill. You've got an assignment. You've given that to yourself. You've been stalking for a couple months. You've gone to the property at least 12 times. And this is the time that you're going to do it. Your victims are out partying. A couple of them are very drunk. They're stumbling. They're sleeping. Uh, It's set up for you. You're not an apex predator, but you're still a predator and you're going to strike. You're on a mission to kill. Get in and get out. So the girl that he walked by, the Moscow Ripper, had walked by and left her unharmed. She was not part of that plan. He wasn't tired. He wasn't anything. He was on a mission. He completed it. He went to the He got access to the property, went to the third floor first because his target victim was there. So the target victim is really important. I've said for one girl, they all died. What girl it was, I don't know because I don't name names and I don't say victims' names like I know them. But for one, they all died and these people had no idea that they were being stalked. It's like being in the ocean, swimming around and not uh, knowing that there's a shark underneath you about 30 feet below and you just can't see it so you don't know until they strike and then it's all over so they only found out that they were being stalked at the moment of attack so the third floor uh you know in gainesville the guy used a screwdriver got in the back door of the off-campus properties and then went into his sleeping victims upstairs downstairs so you can uh hear more about that on previous episodes However, this guy, the Moscow Ripper, got into the property, went straight to the third floor because guess what? He'd been there before. Maybe during one of his stalking attempts, there was a big party going on outside. He could see people coming and going, and maybe he just fit into that scene and checked out the property. He definitely could see it on social media and find out more about his victims, his uh, target victims, and their lives. So I think he was there before. So he got into the property, third floor, and then there's the knife sheath, a piece of evidence that has a DNA on the button snap. Yeah, that's really, really important, of course. But I'll say that where that knife sheath was left is really important as well, because on that sheath itself, there's the uh, USMC logo and information, and it looks like somebody was probably ex-military. So I don't think he dropped that on accident. I think he placed it opposite his target victim. So if you have two girls sharing a bed, which they were doing on the third floor, wherever that sheath was left, the opposite side is where the target victim is. If the sheath had no markings, 
and it was left on purpose, then I don't think he would have done that. But I think it throws off the trail a little bit, like maybe this guy's ex-military. But the target is opposite that. And maybe the cops would know, uh, depending on the amount of stab wounds, if that victim had twice the amount as the others, because that's the target. That's the initial rejection that could have come from a party. As I've said before in previous episodes, it could have come from a restaurant where they had met and he met her and tried to be that best self. In the previous case file, I talked about the transition and reaction, that this is all about his transition from three bills to about 185, trying to be the best version of himself and still getting rejected like he did in high school. I've said that, so you can check out that case file. So the target victim is there. He does what he does there. He goes down uh, another level to the second floor, does what he does there to the victims, and then he's going out in 16 minutes or so, and the other roommate sees him. Well, she's not part of the plan. She's not a target. She's not like, um, you know, when the United States government goes in to get someone like bin Laden, that guy's the target, kill him and get out. Nobody else. So he walks by the other roommate in the hallway. Nope, you're not on my list. Because why? Well, I've said before in previous episodes, I've said that this group of four was the close-knit group that he, he wanted. The one girl... Her relationship with the other girl and that couple and their relationship with those girls as well as a group of four, how tight knit they were. And even in all the pictures, you see them inside of the other people in the photo. So the other roommates were outside of that even just a little bit and they weren't part of the target. So he did his mission. He got in and got out. There's a lot of tracking evidence. There's a lot of trace evidence. And of course, the knife sheath, the DNA, you already know about that stuff. But I will say that wherever that sheath was found on the opposite side is the target victim. You're likely not going to find a connection there uh, of any sort. But if one of them said they had a stalker, I believe they had a stalker. And this was the guy, the Moscow Ripper. So what is the prosecution going to do? What is his defense going to do? Well, I found it interesting to say the least, that when he got into Idaho and met with his defense attorney, Ann Taylor, um, when he sat down and looked at her and smiled, she looked to me like one of his victims, but the older version, as, as if he was looking at her uh, years in the future, because she looked like one of the victims, only an adult version of one. So that's the only time that I saw him smile. And it was very, very creepy to see. And he just might be the guy with the bushy eyebrows. He's five foot ten. He's about 185 pounds, dressed in black, the Moscow Ripper. So what is she going to do and what's the prosecution going to do as well? Well, if you think about this, um, nothing is set in stone. Nothing is airtight because we've had stuff like OJ before. We've had other trials where, yeah, he did it. But you got to prove it and you got to make it happen in court. So I would expect a few things. Now, I did say I was going to talk about the death penalty in the next case file, which is which is coming. But I do know that the parents here uh, have said they want the death penalty, which I think is a good thing. However, in Idaho, there's only eight people on death row. It's not like they do it all the time in Arizona, like in Arizona or in Texas or another state. Uh, it's been a long time there. Uh, 2012 was the last execution. Only eight people on death row. 
Um, but I do think that's coming and will make very uh, interesting to watch that play out in court. So you have all this evidence, but what can you prove? How's it going to work? I would assume that the defense, and I am playing the lawyer here, but I would assume that the defense would try to put the police on trial. They try to put everybody else on trial and just poke holes at the way that they went about their investigation and who they are saying is the killer. But I think the police did a great job. Uh, I think they played dumb with the media and kind of trapped the killer a little bit as if he could kind of be a little bit more visible than maybe he wanted. And I think that was really great in what they did to kind of draw him out and uh, act like, oh, this case can go cold for a year. But they were getting closer with each day. And so I think they would put the police on trial. I think that they would um, do things to say that, well, if you say that he's stalking and been there to the property 12 times or so, he might have known somebody in the area. He's not driving 30 to 40 miles out of his normal route. He's 10 miles away and he's driving around. Maybe he's looking at housing. Maybe he was thinking about going to the University of Idaho because they have a really good psychology department there and they do PhDs in psychology as well. They don't do criminology, but he was thinking about changing things up a bit. So he's driving around, seeing what student life is about. You could say that. You could certainly say that. And you want to be uh, really off with that because he's not going 30, 40 uh, minutes or miles out of his way that he never would do otherwise for any kind of routine grocery shopping and so forth. I see that coming. I also see that he could be on the stand as well, a la somebody like Ted Bundy. And if he's on the stand talking, that would be really interesting. However, he does have a lawyer, a really good lawyer, as I said, Ann Taylor. And in the Bundy case from years ago, years ago, he was representing himself and he was on the stand uh, reliving all of his crimes. And that really did him in. So Koberger could be on the stand as well. And the prosecution has to be very, very good in this case, because I'm not going to say it's going to be like OJ, but because he has such a good defense lawyer and because she might come from the standpoint of him being guilty and try to improve innocence rather than saying my client is innocent. She could really do a, a good job here, I would say, and he might gain a little bit of an edge in this, uh, this battle and how it's going to play out. But you do have the DNA. Other things to look for, I would say, would be to put him in the property. Um, there is a report of a shoe print, a van shoe print in the home. Could that be matched up to something that he wears? The knife, I don't think that will ever be found. That would be a miracle if it were. And also, truly, I don't think there will be any confession. I think that he's going to plead not guilty. And if she is as good as I think that she is, in her mind, I think that she would say, well, my client is probably guilty and I'm going to start from there to prove his innocence. And if she does it that way, then things can be OJ like and other things can be put on trial. And there could be that reasonable doubt that's put into the jury's mind that changes the course here in, uh, in court. It could happen that way. But the death penalty, um, something I'm going to talk about in the next case file. 
I'm going to go over it because this one is really interesting. As I said, Idaho is about to pop off. You've got this case. You've also got Lori Vallow and a death penalty there as well. And I've said that before. There's going to be a death penalty there. I can feel it. Also, she's got death penalty, I think, in Arizona and another state as well. But um, there's some things coming out in that case. So I'm going to talk about the probability of getting this uh, you know, conviction, getting the death penalty, and actually being executed. And I'm going to talk about that along with some other things that I've just kind of left out here. But I'm saving it for the next case file. So this is 16 minutes. It's a mission to kill. It's the Moscow Ripper. He's in. He's out of the property. And in my opinion, the knife sheath was left on purpose. It had the logo, the emblem. So it could possibly say, well, maybe this guy's ex-military. But wherever that sheath lay, on the opposite side, lay the target. If that person has the most stab wounds, that's where the focused energy was. And everybody else was taken care of. Um, they were sleeping. Uh, one of them in the video at the food truck was really drunk. So he had his victims right where he wanted. And they had no idea that there was blood in the water and there was a shark around. They had no idea. And that's what happened. So thanks for joining me on this episode of the Ripper Case File. I say that for a reason because I called Gainesville. And you know what? I'm really proud of you, media, for coming back around saying, you know what? It's not BTK. We think Gainesville now, two weeks after the fact. Yeah, it was a lot like that. And I wonder if Kohlberger had studied that uh, or focused on that with all the other serial killers that he learned about under Ramsland, Catherine Ramsland over at DeSalle's University. So that's really an interesting angle. So I'll have more for you in the death penalty one coming in a few days, but thanks for checking me out here on Drowning Verdict. Uh, come back for more. I'll have more for you. But for now, I'm out. Good night.